Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, November 16th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, federal and city officials meet to discuss the future of Jackson's troubled water system. Then while the state faces a health care shortage, training programs look to accelerate nursing degrees. Plus, this week's History is Lunch highlights changemakers and their fight for social justice. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The city of Jackson and a federal agency are nearing an agreement to address the capital city's troubled water system. Yesterday, Michael Regan, administrator for the Environmental Protection Agency, returned to Jackson. He met with city leaders and residents. It was Regan's fourth trip to Jackson this year. Regan says the process to formalize the agreement is ongoing, but once finalized, it will provide the level of transparency the community wants. We're focused on some near-term and mid-term solutions to ensure that the people of Jackson have safe, clean, affordable drinking water. And so you have the state, the city, uh, EPA, and DOJ at the table working on an agreement that can secure that. Uh, Once we reach agreement, uh, that agreement will go to the city council. The city council will vote on it. Then it comes back to the mayor. Uh, The mayor will sign off on it. And then the Department of Justice will file that agreement with the federal court. Uh, We are moving with a sense of urgency uh, because we know with this agreement in place, uh, approved by and governed by a federal court, uh, it will give a level of transparency uh, that the community has been seeking. Uh, It will also keep all of us on the same page, growing in the same direction as we invest these millions of dollars into uh, Jackson's water infrastructure. So we're feeling optimistic about it, um, but that's all I can say about it at this point. Mississippi's capital city has been under a state of emergency for two months, but the governor's order is scheduled to expire next week. Jackson Mayor Shokwe Antar Lamamba says he's hopeful the governor will extend the city's state of emergency to continue the on-site state partnerships at treatment facilities. Lamamba and Administrator Regan say the details for the long and short-term solutions, as you heard, cannot be disclosed due to ongoing litigation, but they say it will be a comprehensive agreement. We cannot get into the details, but we're seeking a comprehensive solution that covers every aspect imaginable that would allow for us to emerge with a plan that will put us on the path for a sustainable water system for the people of Jackson. I'll just add that that the agreement considers our challenges. Uh, It recognizes um, what have been the deficits, uh, what has contributed to the issues here in Jackson, uh, and we believe that it it, um, 
it is uh, the best way to comprehensively address that uh, as best we can. Uh, there's still there there's a long there's this is a marathon, right? There's a long road ahead, um, and so we I don't want us to think that even the agreement is the panacea itself. There's a lot of investment that has to be done, uh, but it does recognize those challenges. Regan says his agency will be working with the city beyond current emergency orders to help secure funding for improvement and maintenance of the water system. Coming up, while the state faces a health care shortage, training programs look to accelerate nursing degrees. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi is facing a critical nursing shortage, and one university is rolling out a new program to accelerate training. The University of Southern Mississippi is starting a new post-degree program for aspiring nurses. The degree will be offered at USM's Gulfport campus in Long Beach and has the same amount of clinical training as a traditional route. Dr. Elizabeth Tennen is the director of the School of Professional Nursing Practice at USM. She tells our Lacey Alexander they wanted to address the need quickly. Honestly, this has been a quick turnaround. The dean mentioned to me last spring that there was a need and much discussion on the Gulf Coast regarding a need for the nursing program. We had a traditional program there, but we were trying to not have duplicative programs. And so um, we were looking for a different way to be back on the coast and to work with our coastal partners. And so an accelerated program had honestly been thought about a couple of years ago, but when we reached out, the market wasn't there. This time, the market was there. And can you explain to me some of the key differences between this accelerated program that's getting started Mm -hmm. in January and maybe a more Mm -hmm. typical uh, BSN? Uh, So the traditional baccalaureate program is four years. You have your two years of prerequisites, and then we have five semesters. One is a summer um, of nursing courses, and you have to complete all your prereqs before you start your nursing program. Um, So it is typically uh, four semesters long. So the ABSN, or the Accelerated Program, is a second-degree program. So these students who will be coming and starting in January already have a degree. And so with that degree and with life comes much learning and wisdom. And so that's one of the big differences is the initial one is four years to complete and actually a little bit longer because of the summer, but it's four years because the summer falls in the middle. But the ABSN will be three semesters long. But what we're doing is we're taking advantage of what we call an intercession. An intercession is a time in the academic session that occurs before 
usually the the academic start date for most. So an intercession gives people an opportunity to get a course done in, say, almost three weeks. It, it varies a little bit from year to year, but it's about a three-week intercession. And so we're taking opportunity for that, and we're having the students do one course in intercession, thereby decreasing the number of courses that they'll have to focus on in their first semester of their uh, ABSN pathway. Then within the courses, how we're doing it a little different, because these are going to be adult learners. Um, they're not going to be our typical student. These people already have a degree. They've already shown that they're able to complete a baccalaureate degree. So we're really focused on the nursing aspect of that. And so we'll have a course that's across the entire 15 weeks, and then we'll have two eight-week courses so that we are having them only have to focus on three or four courses at a time to hopefully in, uh, in help them with being successful in the program. You know, if you have too many things that you're trying to do at one time, usually that's not a, a um a recipe for success. So we want our students to be successful. So that's some of the things that we're that we're doing differently so that we can get them through quicker. And the quicker the students can get through, but still with a quality rigorous program, then the quicker we'll have nurses at the bedside. So these students will be able to be at the bedside once they complete our course and take the National Council of Licensure uh, Board exam, then they'll be able to be there in three semesters versus four semesters or longer. I understand. Thank you for that. Oh, um, no, no, no. As a as someone who's been in this field for so long and for as someone who's got expertise in this area, is there anything about this program, whether it be um, things that were omitted or requirements that aren't uh, typical of a bachelor's program that even a little bit concerns you about it? Is there anything you're worried about with this program? No, no, because the clinical hours we kept the same. And what we did was because of the years of experience that my faculty and I have, we looked at it very critically and said, how can we do this? And so some of the things, um, and we're going to remove all the fluff, and, and no matter how hard we try, sometimes there's always a little fluff in there. This is bare bones, but it's bare bones designed to um, produce a student, a nurse, that will provide the same safe, quality care that your traditional BSN will be. We're just giving them credit for their um, life experiences and for the things that they've had um, as they're moving forward in their life and in their journey. I will tell you that it is going to be a very, it is going to be a very rigorous course, um, but we are telling that up front, and it's totally face-to-face -face because we are going to have the same standards and we are going to have a lot of the same criteria. What we were able to do was adjust the scheduling some, like using a, um, you know, the intercessions by using more of the eight-week one, eight-week two, very focused kind of things. Um, so, no, nothing about this is of concern to me at all. I know that our students, upon completing this, will be equal to our students who take the traditional program in terms of quality and safety, and I do believe that we'll see the, see the same success on NCLEX as we do with our current students. So how will this new accelerated program impact the current shortage? Dr. Kim Hoover is the Chief Operating Officer for the Mississippi Hospital Association. 
anything that um, helps produce, educate nurses so that they can be out more quickly to begin practice is helpful. This, these programs have been around for quite some time. There have been, um, the UMMC has had an accelerated, the School of Nursing has had an accelerated nursing program for quite some time. The graduates of those programs are well prepared. Uh, all of these programs have to be accredited. And uh, even if those who are going into the programs have to have at least a bachelor's degree, there are still prerequisites that they must have before they come in. So it's not <clears throat> every nurse will not. So if they start the program and, and um, begin to recruit, students into that, so it probably will take longer. That will help. It's not an immediate solution. What other solutions do you foresee or hope to see to this nursing shortage? Well, I think we've, um, the first thing that we really need to do is to ensure that the, uh, the hospital's financial um, stability uh, is, that they are financially stable and that they have the ability then to um, not only pay the nurses what it is that they uh, deserve to be paid, but also offer other types of benefits that, you know, just frankly require um, money. But I also think that because we have such a young nursing workforce now working in the hospitals, that we need to be sure that they're prepared to precept other nursing students and other nurses who come in. So most, almost all of um, nursing education, the clinical education, occurs in a hospital. And so for that to happen, we have to have nurses in hospitals who are able to mentor, who are able to precept, and if we can get some of those nurses prepared to be adjunct faculty for schools of nursing, then it also opens up more slots for students. And so I do think helping to prepare uh, some of those younger and less experienced nurses in these areas would be very helpful. And the Hospital Association has been working on um, developing some programs. And there are others across the state who are also working with partnerships with, uh, between hospitals and schools of nursing. Thank you so much, Dr. Kim Hoover, Chief Operating Officer with the Mississippi Hospital Association. Thank you so much for taking time to chat with us. Thank you, Lacey. Coming up, this week's History is Lunch highlights changemakers and their fight for social justice. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Writer Steve Pfeiffer says while reading a typewritten sermon by the civil rights icon Reverend C.T. Vivian, he penciled a quote, a reminder to himself that words alone would not bring change, that action is required. It was then he dedicated his next project to those he calls the changemakers, people who decide to ta- well, take a stand for what they believe in. 
His book, The Moment, consists of personal accounts of watershed moments that moved people of all ages, backgrounds, and fields of work to get involved. He's sharing some of that work today at History is Lunch. Pfeiffer spoke with us ahead of his presentation. I had the privilege a few years ago of working with the late Dr. C.T. Vivian, the civil rights icon, presidential Medal of Freedom winner, the man who Dr. King called the greatest preacher in American history. I worked with uh, Dr. Vivian before his death on his memoir, and that book was called It's in the Action, and Dr. Vivian's uh, mantra was It's in the Action. You have to get off the sidelines and get into the fight. And so partly in honor of Dr. Vivian's memory, and because I found that message so compelling, I decided for my next book that I actually wanted to talk to people from across the nation of all different backgrounds, races, professions, ages, about how they got off the sidelines and joined the fight for social justice. And I decided the way into their own stories was to ask them about the particular moment or moments when they decided that enough was enough and it was time to join the fight and work to effect change. How did you find these people? Well, I I made a wish list, first of all, uh, of people from, as I said, different ages, backgrounds, and uh, professions, ethnicities, races, etc., that I wanted to talk to. And I like Brian Stevenson, the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, prominent people like Renee Montgomery, uh, WNBA, basketball all-star and champion who had uh, joined the fight. I had read about her joining the fight for social justice after the death of uh, George Floyd. And uh, I started working from that list, but then I decided for the sake of diversity and finding people in all sorts of different uh, professions like the arts and architecture, the law and medicine to uh, just do research. So I I went to the internet and started looking up stories of people who I thought would really be appropriate uh, to interview for the book. Then I contacted them and most of them agreed to be interviewed. And I felt it was very important for them to tell their stories in their own words. So this is a series of chapters, brief chapters, that are all in the words of the people whom I interviewed. They tell their own stories. Yeah, and I see you have the mayor of Jackson and his wife, Shokwe Antar Lumumba and Ebony Lumumba, in the book. Right, as well as another uh, wonderful person from Jackson, Uh, Julian Miller, who's at Tougaloo College, and another Mississippian, uh, Missy Jones, who's at Mississippi College. Mississippi uh, is well represented in the moment, and uh, they are all among the favorite uh, interviews that uh, 
I did for for the book, and you know, I spoke to um, them all about a, a year ago uh, in in preparation for the book, and and since then, of course, Jackson uh, has been more in the news uh, lately because of the water crisis, and so working with them, I've arranged for somewhere between 400 and 500 uh, books to be donated to high school and middle middle school students in Jackson and uh, myself and and some of them and some of the other change makers in the book will be uh, via Zoom uh, coming into classrooms to talk to the students about uh, how they can be change makers. Was there anything that stood out about the people that you selected beyond the fact that they became involved in some form of social justice? Yes. The takeaway theme from the book, I would say, is the importance of storytelling to effect change. Storytelling is important on on two levels, I guess you would say. The first level is to uh, allow the, it's cathartic. It allows the change maker himself or herself to actually unburden themselves from whatever it was that led them to have to get off the sidelines and, and try and create change, all of whom are doing this within the system, I should say. And uh, so in that sense, it's important just for, for them to tell their own story. But more important, it is for them to tell the stories of the people that their own story and the people that uh, they're representing to whoever is in power to be able to put kind of flesh on bones to understand the personal nature of the distress that people are feeling. So by telling your own story or by telling the story of others, you're able to persuade change uh, those people who are in power to make change. You don't portray people just as statistics. Uh, you portray them as human beings who have real needs and are are, are worthy of of changing the system. And that's the biggest takeaway. Almost everybody told me their their personal story. Uh, the Lumumbas, uh, Julian Miller, who grew up in Winstonville, Mississippi, you know, one of the the poorest uh, towns he said in the in the in the country, and and seeing his uncle, who was the mayor there, uh, work to effect change in that small community led led Julian after he graduated from Harvard to come back to the Delta to work with the people there. And similarly the Lamumbas telling me about the 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 families that they grew up in. The mayor's father was a, a civil rights lawyer. Uh Ebony's mother was the first stockbroker, first African American stockbroker in Mississippi uh, for a, a particular company, First Woman, African American. And, and those stories are all what uh, compelled them to, uh, to join the fight for social justice. 
Steve Pfeiffer, a journalist, New York Times bestselling author. Thank you so much for your time in speaking with us. Oh, thank you so much. History is Lunch is today at noon, hosted by the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio.